Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. The title of the message this morning is The Traits of a Pharisee will be in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. I do apologize for the audio uh, on this recording. We're having some issues with our microphones. We're in the process of buying new microphones right now. It does cut out a couple of times for a couple of seconds, but um, 99% of the message is there. I do apologize for that. Uh, we're working with our audio equipment right now. Please enjoy. All right, now that I've filled some time, Matthew chapter 23. Um, if you're physically able, one last time I'm going to ask you to stand respect and reverence to the Word of God. Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse number 1. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you do and observe. But do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay on them men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. The title of the message this morning is The Traits of a Pharisee, the traits of a Pharisee. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, once again, I pray the power of God on this service. Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit of God would speak through me this morning. I pray that you'd show us your, your, your scripture, show us the truths from the word of God. You would have us glean today. And Lord, I just pray that you would just bless our service this morning. Be with us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so by way of introduction uh, to this message, our introduction is the first verse of this passage. And it says, then Jesus spoke. Now let's stop right there, okay? Then Jesus spoke. Before you really get into this passage, you have to know what led up to this passage. And right before Jesus begins to speak here, he had just finished answering the Pharisees uh, and the Sadducees' questions. Sadducees had been drilling Jesus. They had been drilling him question after question after question. And what they're trying to do is they were trying to trip Jesus up. And they were trying to, to make him make a mistake. And they were trying to, 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 to laugh at him and mock him. And they were his words. So the very first thing that happened is the Pharisees came to Jesus and they asked him, should we pay a tribute to Caesar? 
Uh, because, you know, maybe according to the Jewish law, they weren't supposed to do that, but the Romans were forcing them to. And so they were trying to, to, to trip Jesus up. And, of course, we all know the famous answer that Jesus gave, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar, and unto God that which is God's. So then that didn't work, and so then the, the Sadducees had their shot. And the Sadducees came to Jesus, and they said, we got a question for you. If, if a woman marries a man, and then that man dies, and so then the woman marries the man's brother, and she goes down, she marries all the she they all die. When they go to heaven, whose wife is she? Uh, who, 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 who does she belong to? Who's her husband in heaven? Now, Jesus saw through this. He saw through it. They did not want to know about who this woman's husband would be in heaven. They were trying to nail Jesus on the resurrection. You see, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They believe that this life is all there was. And so, but Jesus saw through that because Jesus is sharp. Jesus knows his stuff, okay? And so Jesus comes, Jesus answers the question, and he says, well, you're not given in marriage in heaven, but are like the angels. But then he says, but that's not, he kind of says, that's not what your question is really about. And then he talks, starts going on about the resurrection, and he starts talking about the resurrection. And then he, Jesus says to him, is, is God the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? They said yes. And then Jesus basically says, how can he be the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are dead and gone? How could he currently be their God if they're gone? And they did not have an answer for Jesus. Boom, Jesus shut them down again. So here comes the Pharisees for the next round. The Pharisees, they, 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 they step up and they're, they're wanting to go another round with Jesus. And so they go up to Jesus and um, they, they ask him, well, what's the greatest commandment? And they're just testing his knowledge of Scripture and they're trying to poke holes in, in him and they're trying to trip him up. I mean, this is like the Spanish Inquisition. It's just question after question. And each question is an attack on Jesus until finally Jesus knocks all their, all their balls they throw at him. Jesus knocks them out of the water and then Jesus backs them into a corner. Jesus says to them, okay, the Christ... Whose son is he? And they say, oh, well, the Christ is the son of David. Okay. Well, Jesus goes back to the Psalms and says that David calls the Christ Lord. How, you know, how could, how could the son of David also be his Lord? You see, the Pharisees did not want to admit that the Messiah would be Lord God. They didn't want to admit that. So after that, they dare not ask him any questions. So, see, the, the Pharisees had been talking and asking questions, and they had been going after Jesus, and Jesus had been knocking, the ball, knocking them out of the park, and he had been answering their questions. But now it was Jesus' turn to speak. They had their chance. They had their opportunity but now it's time for Jesus to speak. Now it's time for Yeshua to speak. Now it's time for the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of the living God. And when Jesus speaks, you better listen. You better listen. 
And the Bible says, then Jesus spoke. Okay, well, who did he speak to? It says he spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. So those are the two classes of people that Jesus is speaking to in the passage that we're about to read. He's talking to the crowds and he's talking to the disciples. Now, if you know anything about the crowd, now your Bible may even say multitude. If you know anything about the crowds and the multitudes that follow Jesus, why did they follow Jesus? Because they wanted free stuff. They wanted them, they wanted them free filet of fish sandwiches, and man, they wanted them free miracles, and man, they wanted to be entertained, and they free stuff. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And Jesus wasn't their savior, and Jesus wasn't the creator of the world. Jesus wasn't any of that. He Him when I won't gimme, 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 and they treated him like an ATM machine, and they were only around Jesus because they fraught the fraught that they could get free stuff. They wanted them happy meals, and they wanted they wanted to see the miracles, they wanted to see the Benny Hinn stuff, and that's what they wanted. Okay, but then you got the disciples. Now, disciple means learner. Disciple means pupil. Somebody who was there to learn. Now, both groups are going to get something. They're both going to get. The group, the multitude, the crowd that's coming for the free stuff, coming for the filet of fish, coming for the free miracles. Right now, they're getting stuff. And then the disciples, well, they're getting stuff too. But the difference is one is self-centered and one isn't. So my question to this church would be today, which one are you? What kind of Christian are you? Are you the kind of Christian that comes to church just to get free stuff? Are you the kind of Christian that comes to church because you need a you need an answered prayer because you want a blessing because you want uh, you want all you want God to pay your bills and you want God to give you all this stuff and and you want to prosper and you want your your house paid for and and man if man maybe maybe if I go to church God will start blessing me and maybe if I go to church God will start blessing my life and things will go a little bit better for me. Or are you the pupil? Are you the learner? Are you only coming so you can get closer to Jesus? Are you only coming so that you can learn? So that you can be a pupil? So that you can be a disciple? So you can get closer to the Lord? So maybe, maybe Jesus is sensing this among the crowd. I mean, he knows who's there. He knows why the multitude is there. He knows why the disciples are there. And maybe he's sensing this. And, and all these people, they just witnessed uh, this attack on Jesus from the Pharisees. Okay? So sensing this and knowing that, what Jesus begins to do is he begins to tell them what self-centeredness will do to your life. And that's what the message is about today. That's what the message is about today. Um, Jesus is going to give us in this passage, 
three warnings of hypocrisy. Another thing, another way you could put it is he's, he's going to give us three aspects of uh, self-centeredness, three traits of self-centeredness. Now, all of Matthew 23 is about the Pharisees, okay? You keep going past verse 12 and you get into the, the woes of the Pharisees. Some people say there's eight woes. Some people say there's seven woes. I believe there's seven. That's, that's, for, that's a discussion for another day because that's a lot of material to go through. But right at the top of this chapter is just a little passage. It's an introduction before Jesus goes into the woes of the Pharisees. And he gives us a snapshot of what self-centeredness is. He gives us a snapshot of what a Pharisee is. And so I've got three headings this morning. I've got three points. I'll jump right into them. Uh, Point number one is self-righteousness. And that's verses two through four, for those of you who want to write down. Verses two through four, we've got self-righteousness. And what is self-righteousness? A definition of self-righteousness is convinced of one's own righteousness, especially in contrast with others. Man, isn't it nice to compare yourself to other people? Man, you, 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 you look pretty good when you compare yourself to other people, you know? Compare myself to, you know, Franklin Graham, I'm just kind of, I don't know about it. I'll compare myself to Josh. No, compared to Josh, I'm pretty good. I'm just kidding. Josh works for me at my shop. So, and uh, so, uh, so you know, the the thing is, you know, you look pretty good when you compare yourself to other people. Just don't compare yourself to Jesus. Then <laughs> nobody will ever look good. Okay. It's all about self. These they're about self righteousness. Let's look at verse two. The first word is saying. Let's stop there. Let's stop there just for a second. Saying, who is Jesus talking to? He's not talking to the Pharisees anymore. The rest of this chapter is about the Pharisees, but he's not talking to the Pharisees anymore. They've had their shot. They had their chance. They had their time. They rejected. They walked away. They're reprobate. They had their shot, and they let it go, and their time is over. And Jesus isn't going to waste another breath on them. I was sitting in a chapel service one day in a Christian school and an evangelist came in and was preaching that chapel service and he used to say when he was a young guy, he'd go into these chapel services in the Christian school and he'd preach to the back back three rows. And he never saw any fruit from it. And then one day his ministry changed. He stopped preaching to the back three rows and he started preaching to the front two rows. And what he meant by that is he stopped, you know, he started trying to help the people who wanted to be there, you know. And so the the, the Pharisees had their chance. The Pharisees had their time. Their time was over. Now the only good, therefore, is a sermon illustration. And isn't it sad when somebody so goes away from God that the only good you can get out of their life is a sermon illustration. And so Jesus is using the Pharisees as a sermon illustration here. It says the scribes and the Pharisees. Okay, there are certain sects of Jews, okay? The largest sect, special sect, 
was the Pharisees. The Pharisees were also the most wealthiest. They had the most money. But the thing about Pharisees is they were separatists. They were all about being separate from everybody else. Let's be secluded. Let's be by ourselves. And let me give you a warning, give you a warning about churches like this. Churches that want to separate themselves from everybody else, that don't want to fellowship with any other church, not even even other churches of the same denomination. They don't want to fellowship with anybody. They just want to be on their own little lane, do their own little thing all by themselves. Watch out for separatists. okay? Uh, because, you know, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible tells us to to fellowship just because you belong to another church doesn't mean you're my enemy. okay? So, you know, so that's what they were. These were separatists. They wanted to separate themselves from the rest of their countrymen. The Pharisees believed that God owed them special favor just because they were Jewish. Oh, just because we're Jewish, that means that God owes us special favor. Not only that, but they also believed that, that their, their, their adherence to the law made them more justified. The more they adhered to the law, uh, the more they conformed to the law, the more justified they were. Justification doesn't work that way. You're not more or less justified than somebody else, bless God. You either are justified or you ain't justified. I apologize to to the, I apologize, Jack. Uh, but, but you ain't, you either are or you ain't, okay? Uh, you, you either are justified or you're not justified. And an, another thing, the Pharisees hated common folk. They couldn't stand common folk. They couldn't stand the working man. And I respect the working man. I, you know, I, when somebody's, somebody's doing a job and, and somebody's working and I, you know, if somebody's in my house and they're doing a job and they're working, I'll tell my kids, look, this guy's, this man is working. Don't mess with him. Okay. Respect what he's doing. He's, he's, he's working. Okay. You, you know, and the Pharisees didn't. Pharisees didn't like the common man. The Pharisees didn't like the, 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 the working man, the man that come in because he had to work late. And, you know, uh, and come into church all greasy and stuff. You know what? They, they would look down on a person like that. That's wrong. That is wrong. They despised the common folk. You know what else they held to? They held to the law of Moses. But, they, you know, not only the law of Moses. You know what else they held to? Tradition. They held down to these traditions that were passed down after generation and generation and generation, and these, these traditions and for the Jews that were eventually put into the Talmud and put into the Mishnah, but they held, down, they held on these man-made traditions that were not in the Torah, which was their Bible. Their Bible was the Torah, first five books of the Bible. But they didn't hold to that. It was that plus all this other stuff. I mean, they had so many traditions. They washed meticulously for every single meal. Not only that, they fasted two days a week. 
They fasted on Thursday. And the reason why they fasted on Thursday, because that was the day, that Moses, day of the week that Moses went up Mount Sinai. And then they fasted on Monday because Monday was supposedly the day that he came down from Mount Sinai. And they fasted two days a week. When I was a teenager, I decided that I was going to fast on a Wednesday. And I told somebody, I'm going to fast today, but I'm thinking I want to fast every Wednesday. So I was like, okay, I'll fast every Wednesday. And so then I said that to somebody, and then we had church visitation, and after church visitation, we had to go to Dairy Queen. Okay, now on Wednesdays, you got to go to Dairy Queen. This is back when the food at Dairy Queen was good. Last time I ate Dairy Queen, I didn't care too much for it. Okay, they still got the good ice cream. I still get the peanut butter parfaits, okay? But, man, the, the food at Dairy Queen was good, okay? And after watching everybody eat, I was like, um, this is going to be a one-time thing. And then we got in church, and somebody had told the preacher what I was going to do. And so the preacher got up behind the pulpit and said, oh, we got one of our teenagers going to fast every Wednesday. You know what? I'm going to fast with them every Wednesday. And I was like, no, now I got to do it. Now I got to fast every Wednesday. I lasted about three Wednesdays and I went to him and said, preacher, OK, I'm done. I'm sorry. I can't just watch everybody eat Dairy Queen every every Wednesday. OK, and so uh, but they fasted twice a week. Okay, and, and as we go through this, you're going to hear more of their traditions as we go through the message this morning. But the verse says, they have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Now, Moses was the one who gave the law. He was the, the law came through Moses. So many of the Jews even called Moses the great legislator. Okay, because he was the one who gave the law. So what does it mean when it says that they sat in the chair of Moses? Well, if Moses gave the law and they teach and interpret the law, they share the same office that Moses shared. It almost be like the prophet Jeremiah making a prophecy and then me coming around. Now, I'm no prophet. I can't tell you who's going to win the next election. OK, but I come around and I interpret the prophet, the prophecy, you know, that Jeremiah gave, then we both share that office. Okay, so it's kind of the, it's kind of the same thing. They share the same office that Moses because they interpret the law that Moses gave. Now, also in the synagogues was a literal seat where the teacher would sit. He would sit in this seat. And what would happen is, uh, what would happen is uh, they would all stand up to read the scripture, okay? And then when the scripture was reading was done, the teacher would sit down and everybody else kept standing. And, you know, I believe we need to get back to the old paths. I believe we need to get back to the old time religion. When did this thing, when did this thing switch up? I think next Sunday I should sit and all of you should stand. So, no, you don't think so? Okay, all right. I always thought I'd try. But, uh, you know, so, so that's what's going on with the seat there. Let's look at verse 3. Therefore, let's stop there. My thing is, when you see a therefore, you got to see what it's there for. Okay? So, therefore, what that does is that connects the idea that was just given to the idea that they're about to give. 
So this therefore connects back to they seat, they sit in the seat of Moses. It, it connects back to the office they occupy. Therefore, all they that although therefore all that they tell you do and observe. Re, Jesus is saying, respect the office that they're in. Respect the law that they teach is what he's saying. Um, if they teach it, do it and observe it. Um, I guess the kind of way you'd say this is you ever heard chew up the meat and spit out the bones? It's kind of what Jesus is, is getting at here. I mean, it's not like the Jews could go down to the synagogue down the road like you could here. There's a church on every corner. It wasn't like that back then. And even if you did go to another synagogue, there's another Pharisee sitting there. Okay, And so it's not like they had a, a lot of options. But the Bible says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there's no power but of God. The powers that be ordained of God. So we have to respect someone in their office, whether it's president or, or, or governor or mayor or sheriff. Whether we like them, don't like them, that doesn't matter. You have to respect the office that they're in. But the Bible also says uh, we ought not to obey God, that we ought to obey God rather than men. So I respect the office that he has. Jesus said respect his office, respect the law that he gives as long as it's according to the law. Next, but do not according to their deeds, for they say things and do them not. What does that mean? It means they did not practice what they preached. They didn't do it. They did not practice what they preached. I can take this thing off. It's getting warm. They did not practice what they preached. Um, so they, they told others to do good, but they themselves did not do good. You know what that's called? That's a hypocrite. That's a mask. That's a facade. That's being fake. Uh, it's a disguise. It's not real. Titus 1.16, they profess they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work. So they profess that they know God, but then the works don't match their profession. You know anybody like that? We might know a few people like that. Second uh, Timothy three five, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. So they have a form of godliness, but it's not real godliness. It's not true godliness. They have a show of religion, but they do not have true holiness. They have sound doctrine that's coming out of their mouth, but they're not partaking in the grace of God. They profess the gospel, but they do not allow the power of the gospel to influence their lives. You may say the Holy Spirit, say you have the Holy Spirit, but you never listen to the Holy Spirit. You may praise God for your salvation, but you never witness the, and share the gospel with anybody. How quick are we to point out the moat in somebody else's eye when we got a big beam sticking out of our eye? Someone says, God, if, you tell someone God has not given us the spirit of fear, but yet you, maybe you're afraid of something. Maybe you're quaking in your boots over something. 
Jesus warned us, do not do this. Do not have just a form of godliness. Allow the Holy Spirit uh, to, to give you real godliness by obeying it. Let's look at verse number four. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. So what are these heavy burdens? These heavy burdens are the law of Moses. It's the law of Moses is, is, is what we're talking about here. But it's not only the law, it's these passed down man-made traditions. Okay, I went to a Bible college. I've told y'all this. And I was a hard-nosed Baptist, independent, fundamental, King James-only Baptist. Hi, man! Uh, that's the kind of Baptist I grew up. And uh, so we were just real strict. Uh, a lot of people called us Bapticostals. And so we were just real strict. And uh, so the college that I went to, you couldn't even have, I mean, forget about rock CDs. You couldn't have Southern Gospel CDs. You couldn't have Gold City, Cathedrals, Legacy 5, uh, Gaither Vocal Band. You couldn't have any of that. And I had a buddy I talked to. I found him on Facebook, and we talked about some of these things. And he said one time that his, his CDs were confiscated. He got demerits for them, and a couple weeks later, he walked into his dorm supervisor's room, and his dorm supervisor, who gave him the demerits for the CDs, was listening to the CD in his room. Talk about hypocrite. Talk about Pharisee. And talk about man-made rules that don't matter. We lay such heavy, heavy, heavy burdens on us for why? Why do we, why do, we do that? And, and we, we put these, we force these, these things on others. And, and when, when, when somebody new comes into the church, we want to we pick up the rule book and throw the rule book at them. And when somebody walks in the church, we start going down the checklist. Oh, you know, his hair is longer than it should be. And, oh, he's got a tattoo. And, oh, he's, you know, he's got all this stuff. And, oh, he's wearing some tight skinny jeans. And quit doing the work of the Holy Spirit. Quit doing that. You are not the Holy Spirit. You don't know. Hey, okay, hey, he may have long hair. He probably loves God more than you do. You don't know that. You absolutely do not know that. Quit throwing the rule book at people. Quit doing that. That's not what this is about. You know what we should do instead of condemning people? Is we should love them and let the Holy Spirit grow them. Quit doing the job of the Holy Spirit. I want people to know that this is a church where you can come as you are. I want people to know this is a church where no perfect people are allowed. And if you come to this church, we will share the gospel with you. We will teach you to live in the power of the gospel. We will show you how you can know God. And we will show you how you can live with a purpose. But we're not here to throw the rule book at people. That's not what a church is for. It is not. That's self-righteousness. It's something we need to get away from. Number two, the second section is verses five through seven. We're going to call this self-absorption. Self-absorption, verse five. This first phrase of verse five. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. Okay, that statement right there, that statement sets up the next three verses. 
okay? It sets up the next three verses. And it reminds me of John 12, 43. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Do you live for recognition? Do you live for acclaim? Do you live for accolades? Do you require acknowledgement for your actions to feel validated? Let me put it like this. Let's say you are part of a project and you worked really hard on that project. It involved a lot of people and you worked really hard and you committed a lot of yourself to that project. The project ended and then all the members of the project got public recognition for it except for you. You were the only one that didn't get publicly recognized for your effort. Would that bother you? Would it bother you? Verse 5. For they brought in their phylacteries and lengthened the tassels of their garment. Um, you may read that and what is a phylactery? Okay. <clears throat> it's, not, it's not a factory where they make phylacles. Okay. A phylactery is a leather box that they would wear on their forehead and they would wear it on their arm. And inside of this leather box were these little tiny scrolls. I can just picture a little scroll. A little tiny scroll of scripture. And it had scripture written on them. And it was a literal interpretation of something in the law where it said, you know, to wear the word of God on your forehead, on your arm. Now, whether it's literal, figurative, doesn't matter. That's what they did. They, they wore it on their head, on their arm. So that's what a phylactery was. And then the tassels, uh, Orthodox Jews still do this today. Okay, they wear these shawls underneath their clothes and their blue tassels hang out on the front and the back, okay? And the purpose of that is so you could pick Jews out of a crowd and so they could know who was Jewish and who wasn't by the tassels that were hanging. And, of course, the Pharisees. Man, when, when you're depraved, the depravity of mind, of the, the depravity of men will find any way to pervert God's commands. And the Pharisees thought, man, if I have broader phylacteries and if I have longer tassels, that means I'm more spiritual, right? No. And you know, um, you know who thinks that is a person in the flesh. A person in the flesh thinks that. So what's a good example of that today? My dress is longer than yours, so I'm closer to God than you are. I'm covering up more stuff so I'm closer to God than you are. I've got a bigger Bible so I'm closer to God than you are. I post more Bible verses on Facebook so I'm closer to God than you are. Now, let me stop there. Let me stop there. I'm not telling you not to post spiritual stuff on Facebook. If I would, I'd be a hypocrite because I do it all the time. But what I'm saying is what's your reason for it? Are you doing it to help people? Or are you doing it so you seem more spiritual? Motive matters. And God sees motive. That's all I'm trying to say. Don't worry about getting noticed by men. Don't worry about that. We need to worry about getting noticed by God. And when we get to the point where earthly recognition does not matter to us, then that is when God will start paying attention. And that's when God notices us. Verse 6. 
They loved the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. Man, they want to sit at the head of the table. They want to sit up on the platform. They want to do all of those things just so they could be seen of men. We're good Baptists, right? And you know what every good Baptist has? Every good Baptist has an assigned seat. We all got it. Now, that's okay. I, my family has sat there at that for the last five years. We've been at this church. We have sat in that seat. Let me ask you a question. If you come into church one day, somebody's sitting in your seat, how do you react to that? Now, I know our people here, that kind of stuff doesn't matter in this church. I know that. But in other churches, you'd be surprised. I've told you all this story here, but we've got some new faces, so I get to tell it again. But um, I had a buddy who didn't go to church much. He decided one day that, man, you know what? This church is right around the corner from my house. I want to go to church. He went in that church. He sat down on one of the pews, and he wasn't, hadn't sat a full minute. And a lady walked in the church, went to the right where he was saying, and said, uh, you're in my seat, please move. My buddy got out of the pew. He did not wait for the service. He did not get another seat. He left church that day, and he hasn't darkened the door of another church since. How shameful absolutely shameful is that. But you know what? Oh, you want, y'all want to get chairs? Y'all can't get rid of those pews? No, those are great granddaddy's pews. It's got his name on it. It's got his name on the pew. Oh, you, you want to get rid of the hymnals? Oh, you can. Meemaw bought those hymnals. Meemaw bought them. You want to move the picture? Uncle Leroy hung that picture. You can't move Uncle Leroy's picture. And you know what's going on here? What's going on is just like the Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted their spirituality on display and they wanted their spirituality admired. And that's why people are like that. Because they want their spirituality on display and they want their spirituality admired. When they, when the Pharisees were in the place of honor, man, their spirituality was on display. Everybody saw it. But man, when they heard the formal greetings and man, people called them rabbi. Well, man, now their spirituality is being admired. And people get like that over stuff like that in the church because they want their spirituality on display and they want their spirituality admired. You know what, the, the funny thing is, is God has a way to get rid of things that you admire. Right. He has a way to do that. But you know what? You want my seat? Take it. I can't think of a greater honor to walk into church and head toward your pew that you normally sit in every single Sunday morning and see a new visitor sitting there. Bless God, take my seat. I'll go sit somewhere else. Man, that's a, that should be an honor. 
Man, move me every Sunday. You want to get rid of the pews? That's okay. You know why? Because my spirituality doesn't rest in a pew. It rests in a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. But they, they like that title. Rabbi. Rabbi. And then actually they like being called rabbi. And that transitions us to the next section, which is verses um, 8 through 12. We're going to call this section self-worship. Self-worship. What is self-worship? Self-worship is, is uh, admiration or devotion to one's self. Verse 8. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher. Let me tell you something. I've had people seek out titles from me before that come after me that want a title. Give me a title. Give me a title. And, you know, and people want titles, but they don't want to meet the requirements needed for said title. They'll want a title, but while stuff is going on at the church and work needs to be done, they're sitting at the house. That's the kind of people that seek titles. But you know what? It's the ones that aren't seeking the title, but they're doing the work. Those are the ones. Those are the ones. Servants make the best leaders. Let me say that again. Servants make the best leaders. Verse 8, and you are all brothers. So even if you receive a title, okay, we're still brothers and sisters. Just because you have a title, it doesn't, doesn't change that aspect. We're all the same. There's something that churches do, and we need to kind of get away from it, and especially in bigger churches, is churches have this idea that I need to lift up and I need to exalt the educated. Now, 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 don't get me wrong. Like, say, if somebody has a degree or, say, like, even a doctorate degree, like you have a doctorate, a, a pastor went to, a preacher went to school, he, he graduated with a doctorate in theology, that is, that is an accomplishment, that is hard work, it takes effort. One day, I hope to further my career. I, I'm further my, not my career. I meant to say my education. I like to further my education. I like to maybe get my master's one day or whatnot. And so those are, I'm not saying those are bad things. But let me tell you something. Some of the greatest revivals and some of the greatest awakenings that this world has ever seen have been spurred on and started by men of God that did not set one foot in seminary, that did did not attend one day of Bible college, and some of them did not even finish high school because all you need is the power, the power and calling of the Holy Spirit. You don't need all that other stuff, and we need to get out of this thing. That, oh, he's got a DR in front of his name and letters after his name, so we're going to put him up on a pedestal. No, 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 he puts his pants on one leg at a time, just like you do. Just like you do. Verse 9 and 10, do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. So we got to ask ourselves this question, is this verse here to be taken literally? Okay, is it to be an absolute? 
Because if we look at if we look through and examples in the rest of Scripture, Jesus was called Rabbi. Peter, uh, Paul called himself a father. Called Christians his children. Paul called himself a teacher. So it's not that titles are bad. Affection for titles are bad. Hunting and seeking titles is bad. Abuse of titles is bad. That stuff is bad. Job 32, 21. Let me not, I pray you, accept one man's person, neither let me give flattering titles unto man. For I know not to give flattering titles. In so doing, my maker would soon take me away. A title deserves respect. A title deserves honor because the Bible says honor to whom honor. So a title deserves honor, but it does not make you special. Let me say it another way. A title, a title reflects your appointment. A title may affect, may reflect your calling, but it does not, it does not reflect your virtue. That's how cults get started. Because you take the pastor, and just because he's the pastor, you put him up on a pedestal and think he can do no wrong. And so when he says something wrong, you agree with it because he's, he's, he's your savior. He's your, he's your God. You've put him up there. He's your idol, okay? And, and that's cultish, okay, to do that. And so it's something that, uh, that we don't need to do. Verse 11, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. You know how we measure greatness in the flesh? By how many people serve me? How many people honor me? How much money I have in the bank? How, how big my house is? How much land I have? How many cars I own? How many people work for me, serve me? Jesus flipped the script. Jesus took that idea and he turned it completely upside down. And he says, that, that, that's not how you're great in me. That's not how you're great in me. Your greatness in me is determined on how you serve others, on how you honor others. And that concept is absolutely foreign to this world. 1 Corinthians 9.19, For though I be free, uh, free from all men, yet have I my, made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Let me tell you something. Greatness is not determined by talent. Listen to this. Greatness is not determined by talent. Moses had stage fright. Moses was a stutterer. And then Moses became the second most famous Jew that ever lived. I'll give you two guesses for the first. But it came the second most famous Jew that ever lived. Samson, lots of talent. And he was a little more than worthless. He's a little more than worthless. Talent does not equal greatness. Greatness is how you serve other people. Christian, do you want to... Do you want to get out of this pharisaical attitude? Do you want to get away? Do you want to stay away from this, from this pharisaical, hypocritical attitude? Then what you have to do is you have to find a way to serve people. 
They have to find a way to serve people and, and find a brother and sister in Christ that needs help and help them. And if they need prayer, pray for them. And if they need a hand, give them a hand. If they need encouragement, give them encouragement. Invite people to church. Invite people into the house of God. Share the gospel with somebody. When was the last time we served somebody other than ourselves? When was the last time we put a stranger's needs above our own? When was the last time we did that? Then verse 12. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. This is a principle that is taught in Scripture over and over and over and over and over again. Psalms 138.6, Though the Lord be high, yet he hath respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Proverbs 15.33, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Proverbs 29.23, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. But I think that this biblical principle is best explained in James 4.6. James 4.6 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Grace and pride cannot coexist. They cannot live in the same house. If one comes in, the other's got to go. Almost like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Okay? If one shows up, the other has to go. They hate each other. There are, they are eternal enemies. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, so we got some families like that. If she, if she comes, I'm out of here, okay? Um, but the thing is, is, you know, that's the way it is with grace and pride. Let me tell you what pride demands. Pride demands, God, you bless me. You bless me by my own excellence. You bless me by my own talent. You bless me by my own value. You bless me by my own worthiness. You know what grace says? Grace says, I really don't give a rip who you are. I only care about who God is. I only care about what God has done for you. And here's another misconception about grace. Humility doesn't earn grace because you can't earn grace because it's grace. It's unmerited. Okay. You can't do anything to earn it. Okay. So humility doesn't earn grace, but humility puts you in a place where you can receive grace. But here's the main thing about being humbled. You ever have mom say, quit that, quit that, quit that back there, quit making that noise. And then dad speaks up. If I hear y'all again, I'm coming back there. And then it stops because <laughs> daddy spoke. Well, hum being humble is a lot like that. You're, you're, you're going to be humble one way or another. Either you're going to humble yourself or you're going to wait long enough, daddy's going to have to humble you. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't want God to humble me. I'd rather humble myself. So who is a good example of this? The opposite. 
Who else other than Jesus can we go to as an example of this? Let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus was the creator of the universe. He's the savior of all mankind. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He lived a perfect sinless life. If anybody was to be exalted, if anybody was to be lifted up, it would be Jesus. But in John 13, Jesus does something so weird. If you were Jew, it was so out there. Jesus in John 13, he stooped down and he washed his disciples' feet. Man, that is a lowly job. That is a job only for the slaves. That is a job only for the servants. And not only, not just any servant, the lowest servant on the totem pole got that job. You could not get any lower than that. So Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet. And old Peter, old Peter loves stick his foot in his mouth, man. Peter, oh, don't, you don't, don't wash my feet. And Jesus said, if you know, I don't wash your feet, you won't have any part with me. Oh, oh well, wash my hands and my head also. And you're just like, Peter, j- Peter, just be quiet. Just be quiet, Peter, okay? But you know, when he gets done, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you call me Lord, and rightly so, I am your Lord. But if I am your Lord and I washed your feet, how much more should you wash each other's feet? How much more should you prefer others above yourself? It was the most selfless example, the most selfless illustration that Jesus ever gave in his entire life on earth. It was the most selfless thing he ever did. And the Pharisees were the stark opposite of that. So self-centered, so self-righteous, so self-absorbed, so caught up in self-worship. All about self. Do you think for one second a Pharisee would have stooped down and washed the feet of one of his followers? Absolutely not. So what am I saying today? I'm going to say in a couple things. Let's say, first of all, let's stop throwing the rule book at people when they come to church. Let's stop. We're not the Holy Spirit. We need to let the Holy Spirit do, do his own work. We're to love them. But you know what also we're supposed to do? We're supposed to practice what we preach. And we need to not worry about the moat in somebody else's eye while we got a beam sticking out of our eye. And let's stop putting our spirituality on display to be admired by man. Because that yields no fruit. Instead, we need to worry about getting God's attention instead. And then let's not fall into this trap of self-worship. This chasing recognition, chasing titles, chasing acknowledgement, chasing validation, chasing accolades. Let's stop that. And remember just like we teach the children the true order of things. Jesus, others, then yourself. And what does that give you? Joy. Let's get some joy today.